Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com with over 28 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips. Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 25% off your new account, just go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP1013. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP10. This week on TWIP, Canon's financial forecast is haunted by smartphone creep. The Adobe hack actually affects 38 million people. A roundtable discussion about learning photography, plus Don Kamarechka inspires you to kickstart your photographic dreams. It's Wednesday, October 30th, 2013, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I'm Doug Kay, your host for this week, sitting in for Frederick Van Johnson, who is running around the country doing who knows what. And joining me this week to discuss our topics and much more are Don Kamarechka and, don't let me butcher her name, Valerie Jardin. Hello. Very good. <laughs> What's the start? Hi, Don. Hi, Valerie. Hi, guys. Hey, Doug. And thanks uh, for pronouncing my name correctly as well. I did. I did. I go. You know, one time I wrote down Dan instead of Don. I've been doing that with another friend. It drove me crazy. <laughs> but um, anyway, glad to have both of you on the show today. It's nice to have old friends supporting me for my first time as sit-in virtual Frederick. Uh, as always, why don't we start out telling us, telling the trip audience what you guys have been up to. I, I know what some of you have been doing, and uh, it's been a busy time. Don, how about you? Well, uh, I've been packaging and shipping books uh, quite a bit lately. I had my official book launch um, not too long ago this past weekend, and it was hugely successful. And now I'm dealing with the logistics nightmare of getting everybody their books. But it's, uh, it's, going, it's going well so far. Shipments have begun, and more will be coming through the following weeks. And hopefully within a week, it's all done. That's great. And we'll be talking about your process and experience later in the show. I, I think uh, Valerie and I are both hoping to get books very soon. Yes, yes. Uh, you're on my shipping list for tomorrow as we're recording this. So Ooh, uh, no worries about that. Um, and I've, uh, I do a little bit of uh, web development stuff on the side as a, as a independent business owner. As most photographers are, you have to dip your feet into a lot of different pools. And um, I just designed a website for Outdoor Photography Canada. I, I write for them as well. Uh, I've got a column in every issue. And they enlisted my support to uh, update them to the new world of the Internet. So uh, go check them out if you're at all interested. Is in that, that easy to find? Is it something like outdoorphotographycanada.com? No, how do we find that? Yes, that's it. it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good. Okay. <laughs> Valerie, how about you? You've been running around a lot this year. Uh, yes, and I just got back last week from the last two workshops of the season. And I was in France for two weeks teaching one week in Normandy and one week in Paris. It was awesome. Two amazing uh, groups and from all over the world. They were from Australia, um, the UK, India, Canada, the US, of course. Um, and um, that was workshop number eight and nine for this year. So it's been busy. It's been really good. Now I have a few weeks to catch my breath and do some writing before it starts again 
in February with um, Australia. So, and I still have a few spots. Registration will close pretty soon. So, I, I someday, you know, I'm going to talk you into the fact that you've got to have an assistant on a Paris <laughs> workshop because the, uh, people may not know, but your workshops are. Uh, because you know these places well, you're not just a celebrity who's you know dropping in, parachuting in. Essentially, you really know uh, where to eat and uh, how to enjoy the locations you go to. It's very exciting. Yeah, and that's I really make the Paris the, the French workshops are are almost as much a cultural experience as they are a photography experience for the participants because I'm from there, and um, and I was very careful at selecting the hotels and the restaurants so that they have the full full French experience. So it, they've been very popular. Very Those sound like workshops that I would go on um, <laughs> because it, well, it, no, it's not only the, the wonderful locations, but um, Valerie, I think that you um, because you know these places, you're not tempted yourself to take out the camera and shovel people aside and take your own pictures. You've you've done that. You, you've got your great shots, and now it's all about teaching other uh, other photographers. I remember, and I, and I uh, shoot I shoot with them too, but. Uh, it's uh, it's always exciting when you see somebody discover a place for the first time or see it differently for the first time. Oh yeah, yeah. I've I've seen some uh, some workshops go uh, go downhill when the instructor uh, intentionally is sort of there to take their own images as much as teaching everybody else, and uh, the participants don't get what they've uh, what they put in for. Um, but if you know a place really well, uh, like like you do for your workshops, it's it's going to be awesome. And uh, you know, one of these days I might be there. Oh, you're good. Gonna, That'd be awesome. You're going to have to dust off your Canadian French, Don. <laughs> yes. Get oh, yeah, that needs some work. Okay. Yeah, I wear, I wear many hats because I'm also an interpreter most of the time during the workshop because I'm, I spent the whole time with the, the group. And so it's it's fun. I, I enjoy it. And I enjoy sharing the, the stories and the, the experience growing up there. So it's good. Terrific. I've been uh, myself uh, doing a lot of teaching, photography, Photoshop, and Lightroom. Uh, most of what I do is on a one-to-one basis. But I've been also testing all sorts of gear for our new show on the TWIP network, All About the Gear. Upcoming shows are going to include the Canon 70D, which I've done already, the Fuji X-E1, which I have this week, the Lumix GX7, and coming up after that, the Sony RX100 version 2 and the, the little QX100 lens camera that... that uh, Oh, also the Sony A7 and A7R. I'm really looking forward to those on a personal basis. So remember to check out the All About the Gear show. It's my show with Frederick Van Johnson. Uh, I get gear from borrowlenses.com, put it through all its paces, and then Frederick and I discuss all the findings. And the latest episode that we've published is all about the Gigapan Epic Pro. Check it out. Uh, before we jump into the news, I want to thank one of our sponsors for this week's show, and that is Shutterstock. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. At Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect image or video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, a publication, an advertisement, a video, or another type of project. Shutterstock adds 20,000 images every day. So every time you visit the site, you'll likely find something new. And you can download any image in any size and pay only one price. And they've added a new spectrum. You can now sort images by color spectrum. Many creative teams use it to get inspiration and ideas. Now, you can sign up for Shutterstock today, and you don't need a credit card. You can just start an account and begin using Shutterstock. 
Doc, to help you imagine what your next project might look like and save your favorite images to a light box to review later. Then once you decide to purchase, just use the offer code TWIP. 10 to receive 25% off any package at shutterstock.com and for 25% off on new accounts just use the offer code twip10 and we thank shutterstock for their support all right now let's get into story number one this week is uh, an update published by canon for its financial forecast and Canon's take is that uh, they're blaming smartphone companies such as Apple and Sony for some uh, reduction in their revenues. They're basically saying that revenues are going to go from $260 billion in 2013. According to Canon, consumers are switching to smartphones as their go-to photo tools as smartphone manufacturers are incorporating larger sensors, more high-powered lenses uh, to entice shoppers and so forth. So... Uh, Canon's readjusted their projected sales of DSLRs in particular from 9 million units down to 8. Now, I don't know what they've said about their other cameras that are not DSLRs, but we'll talk about that. Um, This is a topic we've talked about a lot on This Week in Photo, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, but Canon's really out there sort of validating what we've been saying, which is that DSLR market is perhaps shrinking. Valerie, let me start with you. Um, what's your take overall on the Canon story and how it relates to the market overall? And do you really think smartphones are infringing on the DSLR market? No, that just doesn't make any sense. Um, I think smartphones are definitely infringing on the point and shoot market, but I think it's the mirrorless that are infringing on the DSLR market. And maybe they should make a bigger effort at, at coming up with new mirrorless systems and uh, and maybe catered to that growing market instead of worrying about, um, you know, self. I mean, no, it doesn't make sense. Cell phones are not replacing DSLRs. Yeah, that's true. Now, make, yeah, uh, this, this week at the New York, uh, the Photo Expo, uh, one story I read said, you know, great stuff from Sony, great stuff from Fuji, Panasonic, um, Olympus. And the most exciting thing at the Olymp at the uh, Canon booth was a firmware upgrade to the One DX. <laughs> Ooh, that's exciting! <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, um, Don, let me ask you first of all your comments overall on this. And you know, I know where Valerie stands because she's a huge X100s fan, uh, as am I. Uh, although she owns one and I don't. Uh, but what's your take overall on this? And tell us: Are you do you also use a mirrorless camera in addition, in addition to your big one? No, I see. I, I'm using the One DX, so that firmware update's exciting for me. Uh, <laughs> although it's coming out in January, um, but no, if you look at these numbers, and if I were to get a second camera, it would be a mirrorless one. I've looked at the, uh, the the Canon EOS M, and it doesn't really interest me too much. It doesn't have any of the bells and whistles uh, that I would be interested in. The reviews were okay, but it just it's not where it should be. And uh, you, you look at some of the other companies that have really got a foothold in there, uh, Panasonic, Olympus, and now Sony, of course, uh, is making some big waves. I think that Canon is missing the boat. And uh, by pointing the finger at cell phone cameras and uh, and, and uh, other mobile devices taking away from the share of digital SLRs, I think is just wrong. Um, it, 
if they, these numbers are their forecast, right? So I think Canon already knows that the compact camera market is on decline and they accurately predicted what that number should be. But because they, they missed uh, from, I think, uh, 9 million was their original down to 8. That's a big difference. Uh, that, I mean, that, that's a huge percentage to be off by. And, uh, and that means that Canon might be, uh, you know, surprised, uh, be almost shocked that things are going the way that they are. I think that they need to pick up their game and, uh, and they need to do it quickly. Otherwise, everybody else is going to be eating their lunch. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, Valerie, do you, do you believe that the big two, Nikon and Canon, are going to be able to respond to the trend towards mirrorless? What's your, your, your sense of what they're up to these days? I don't know. I kind of have a feeling they're going to be left in the dust if they don't wake up and produce what people really want. I mean, yes, they'll be the, they'll be the two big ones for the DSLRs for a long time, but that's not where the trend is heading. Yeah. And I feel like they kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe they have some big surprises coming up and, you know, they're going to uh, surprise us with some really cool mirrorless systems, but I don't know. I don't think they're going to beat whatever's out there. They certainly haven't leaked it yet. That's for sure. No, Don- and I mean, I was just, uh, I, I was just on my the two, the last two workshops. I mean, now it's 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 actually amazing. I've ha- I have less and less people coming with DSLRs on my workshop. It's about half and half now. It used to be one participant will have an Olympus. Even a year ago, and now it's half half the participants are shooting mirrorless. And just to finish this off, Don, what's it going to take for you to go out and buy a mirrorless camera? What what is it? Something you're waiting for in the technology, uh, or is it uh, something that your One DX isn't doing? What's it going to take? But, you know, my 1DX is great, and I don't mind carrying around the heavy gear. Um, but I, I like shooting full frame, and uh, up until a few weeks ago, my only option was a Leica, and that wasn't going to happen. So uh, Sony really has me interested uh, with the A7R, and if uh, if any other company, you know, Canon or Nikon or anybody were to come up with that, then it would be a serious consideration for me. So I'm looking at that Sony camera. Um, it, almost as like a, a backup or a travel camera. I, I don't think I would, uh, you know, jump over to it. But if I'm uh, if I'm yeah, hiking up a mountain in the wilderness somewhere and and I have all my gear with me, I'm really not going to carry a second camera body that's as big and bulky as the one that I already have. I might carry a, a backup or something to get behind the scene shots or, or something. Um, and it's always good for uh, astrophotography, for night photography, to have a second camera pointed somewhere else. Uh, if you're sitting around for a long period of time, you can capture more images that way. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, it's possible. I can make the jump. Uh, but I just haven't had the proper push yet. Well, we'll check back in with you and see because this uh, <laughs> the 36-megapixel Sony A7R looks like a contender for a lot of people. I'm Given that that's the same resolution as my Nikon D800e, I'm wondering why carry around the bigger body, especially since most of what I shoot with the D800e is manually focused anyway. Um, that seems to be the only reason I might not want to use the Sony. We'll see. It's going to be interesting. Let's go on to story number two this week. Um, a few weeks ago, we covered a story about Adobe, the company, being hacked, uh, and a number, I guess, 38 million uh, customers had their credit cards and passwords, both encrypted, stolen. And it turns out um, 
Well, but the original number, Doug, yeah, was, was I think two point nine. Yeah, million. it was a much lower number. I guess the update that came out today was that it was a much larger number of people. Uh, also, the the someone suggested that the uh, source code for Photoshop might have been stolen. I don't know what that means and who might get their hands on it, what they might do with that. But you know, the question I have is for our audience: What does this mean? I think all three of us received letters from Adobe. Uh, I'm curious to know what you did about that, what your reaction was, and, you know, what does this mean? Valerie, I'll start with you again. What this means for you as an Adobe user, an Adobe customer? Well, it doesn't really change anything. I mean, that can happen to any company, I assume. And uh, nothing is uh, nothing is safe, so you kind of get used to it. I'm not overly concerned. I got the letter uh, prior to that. They had change my password for my um, Form Central, Adobe Form Central. Um, and, uh, yeah, I feel like they did the right steps. Now, you know, see what happens. Uh, Don, let me ask you same question, but also do you – are you a good enough – are you a smart enough person to use a, <laughs> a separate mm-hmm. password for every login? Are you good about that? I, I try very hard, uh, although there is some overlap uh, here and there. I think the one that I, I've used for Adobe, it, that's the only service that I use it for. But that's a good point, Doug, because if um, if you use the same password in multiple locations, you now have to change that password everywhere that you've used it before. Um, a lot of people, uh, when they see, oh, well, they're hacked and all this information gets out, it is encrypted. But if uh, if you set your password to something silly like password, and uh, they can run a uh, an algorithm to find out and decode every password that matches password. And then if they also know your email address, they can go to any other service that you've registered to on the Internet and try to plug that password into it to see if it works. And uh, so any passwords based loosely on dictionary words or, you know, birthdays, that kind of stuff, um, you, you could have not just problems with Adobe but problems with your online identity uh, everywhere. That's a good well, point. Thanks, so, thanks go Donna. I'm going to stay up all night worrying about this. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'll get what, my tinfoil hat. What you're saying is that when a password is encrypted, that it's most likely that everyone who uses the same password, it's encrypted to the same resulting string of characters regardless. So if I use – if my password was password and encrypted, it came out gobbledygook. Well, anywhere they found gobbledygook, they would know what that user's password was. Depending on how they encrypt it, yeah, that can happen. Yeah, interesting. Um, Yeah, I had lunch with a friend today uh, who is a Photoshop user, and he discovered that his bank, uh, in reaction to this, canceled his credit card with no advance, not only no advance warning, no after-the-fact warning to him until he went to use his credit card. And it turned out it was because they were somehow notified by Adobe. Um, That's sort of interesting For, for me personally. You know, like you, I got the letter in the mail, but I looked at that and they wanted me to go to a website uh, to where they said they had arranged for some free security services for me. But I realized, how do I know that letter really came from Adobe? Could that letter have been part of a phishing scam? Uh, it turned out it was from Experian and I went there. And what I found was that, of course, they – what was really strange is when I went to Experian's site – they claim to know all about me, but yet they asked for my social security number. And um, it's very, very strange. So, you know, did you guys take advantage of – I don't know if you got that in Canada, Don, but 
Uh, Valerie, did you take advantage of that service that they offered? Not yet, because I had a. I just got back from traveling for almost three weeks, and I had a whole pile of things to go through. So I kind of that wasn't really on my priority, but maybe it should have been. <laughs> did I'm did you go get that it. offer too in Canada, Don? I, I, I did get an email to that effect. I had already read the story, so I, I honestly I didn't pay much attention to the email. I knew it was going to come, and and that uh, online identity protection stuff. Uh, I'm not even sure how effective that would be. It's a nice gesture for Adobe to to offer that to everybody, um, but it's it, it's still it, it's like a bandaid on a shotgun wound. I mean, it's it's not going to fix the problem. Uh, you you're, you still have an issue that needs to be resolved. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, in the famous words of um, Scott McNeely, one of the original people at Sun Microsystems, you know, you have no privacy anymore, so get used to it. Uh, I decided to go ahead and sign up for that service. Uh, I had never previously purchased any type of identity theft service or anything like that. And one of the things you get is a free credit report, which, of course, they want you to upgrade to a a paid credit report, (laughs) uh, which I did not do. But I was really interested. I've always been curious what these credit reports look like. You have never seen anything less accurate in your life. (laughs) It had, as my current employer, a place I have not worked for over 15 years. Uh, it had nothing current. Uh, it was it, it was just shocking. So, uh, uh, you know, I don't want anyone to hold me personally responsible, but I would not recommend that you rush out and take advantage of this terrific offer that Adobe has made for all of us <laughs> to sign up for this free service. I was unimpressed. Uh, any more comments on that one before we head on to the next one? Any just be careful about what you do online and don't use uh, silly passwords. That's right. Yeah, I uh, I use a product called One Password, Digit One Password on Macs. Uh, I think the whole thing might be available on Windows too. And so every password that I use is unique and one that I cannot possibly remember. It has too many strange characters in it. And so far, that's done well for me. Well, how do you re- how do you remember it? Uh, I, mean- I don't. Well, I, I have this app on everything. I have this same app on my Mac, uh, my laptop, my iPhone, and my iPad, and they're all synced through Dropbox. Uh, and the, that database, that the database file is encrypted itself, so I'm not worried about that. It's pretty. The encryption looks to be pretty good. So, it's a few extra steps. But if if I'm on my iPhone, for example, I have to do a copy and paste of that password. But I don't even see it because they don't show it to me. Uh, it's it's in a uh, oh. you know. An what is it field. called? It's what? called One Password. Digit One P A S S W O R D. Okay. And uh, cool. it's a very good app. Okay. And you can get it you can get it on all your platforms. I I'm sorry I don't know what's available for Windows, but it certainly is for Mac and iOS. It is on Windows. Oh, it is. Okay. Good. All right, so here's one here's a story that I'm particularly interested in. This isn't this isn't a news story so much. Uh, but given who we have on the show this week, I thought it was an interesting discussion. All of us in one form or another teach photography, whether it be classroom style, workshop, uh, and so forth. And I'm particularly interested in what are the most effective ways of learning photography. In other words, you know, books, workshops, videos. Uh, I'm curious to know from each of you what you found. Is there is there one answer to this question? Uh, how do you help somebody determine what's the best way for them to improve their photography? Valerie, let's start with you again. Um, well, it all depends. I mean, they want to just become a better photographer 
for a hobby or do they want to turn it into a job? I, I kind of had the sense that we were going to talk about becoming pro photographers. But if it's just uh, for a, a hobby, um, man, everything is available and and free uh, on the internet now. And um, so everything they need to learn about how to use their their equipment is is available how to um how to get out of the full auto mode they can learn that so easily some people prefer to learn in a classroom and that's totally fine they can certainly find some um some some workshops or some um uh community uh college classes to learn how to use their gear um then when it comes to to vision and and developing a a a, a vision and a style they just need to shoot every day and, and work on some project i mean i've seen photographers grow so much by um doing a, a 365 or a 52 project um and so that's one way to do it um but then again you know depends on what their means are and uh, if they can travel and and learn on a workshop that's another way to do it some people like to learn in a group too and that's a lot of fun Don, do you have people who come up to you and say, I'd like to become a better photographer. What should I do? Have you ever been asked that in that simple a manner? Yeah, and, and it's a very difficult question to answer when they play it. Uh, when they say it so simply, I, I would say, you know, everybody's passionate about something, everybody's got a hobby or an interest. Um, Outside of photography, I mean, even photographers will be interested in other things. And I think that if you could take something that is of, of interest to you, that you might spend time thinking about and, and working on or uh, somehow relate that back to photography. Say if you're into cars, then you know, take your photography and merge it with that. Um, whatever it is that, that you find passionate about, wrap photography in it and you'll see that your skills in photography will grow a little bit faster because you're involving yourself more. It's like um, if you could imagine, uh, okay, so you, you just buy a brand new microwave uh, or s something. The chances that you'll use every feature on a microwave, most people just push in the numbers and hit go. And that's good enough for them. And there's no incentive to learn anything more. Uh, I think that when it comes to photography, you have to have some sort of passion uh, that drives that knowledge uh, forward. Because like Valerie said, everything is out there for you to learn. But if you don't know why you should, if you don't have anything driving you forward, any uh, special project or uh, special interests in photography, I think just figuring out what it is that you need to get out there and shoot is going to allow you to learn the skills to do it properly. And then that'll translate to other areas of photography and you're off to the races. Yeah, I Go ahead, Valerie. Go ahead. Oh, I, I also talk to a, a lot of photographers who feel like they're in a creative rut. And uh, and I tell them, just uh, uh, start a photo walk group in your area um, or go on photo walk and give yourself uh, a theme. I mean, sometimes it gets boring. You you go in your same hometown and shoot um, the same. You feel like you're shooting the same thing every week after week if you only go out on weekends. And um, just go out with a theme. Just pick a color. Pick you know, I'm going to photograph people walking their dogs, whatever it is, the sky is the limit, but it, it's going to turn it into a treasure hunt and, and it'll get exciting again. Um, or work on a project or teach, teach a child photography, uh, take a child out and you'll be surprised uh, what they can actually teach you. Um, so there, there are so many ways to, to get out of your comfort zone and, 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 and try 
try new things if um, if you're in a in a creative rut. And that happens a lot. That happens to professional photographers who forget that you know they they need to keep working at personal projects to keep that passion alive too. And I would say join your um, uh, to, to add to that uh, great points, Valerie. I, I would say to to join a local camera club if there's one around you. Um, I'm the president of the the one uh, in in my city, and we usually get in. Uh, really great speakers that will you know give an hour long presentation on something uh, that 's of, of general interest to the club, and a lot of people get inspiration from that. Uh, we have outings that are planned around that as well, and uh, it 's a great place to meet other photographers of like mind so uh, if you 're like me and you like to shoot macro photography, you might come across other photographers that share that same interest that maybe 've tried things that you haven 't and that 'll get those creative juices flowing there as well. I'll, I'll second that recommendation. I'm uh, active with my local photo club too, and uh, there are so many different kinds of activities. We also do competitions. They're they're competitions in a nice way. They're judged by somebody independently, but just the process of hearing a judge's comments about your images and the images of other people in the club, I find to be very very helpful. Valerie, let me ask you: When you do a workshop, I'm sure at some point you've encountered somebody who comes out to a location. The location might be what attracted them to attend that particular workshop, but they're not really ready. They don't really know their camera well enough. They haven't dealt with the very basic issues of either their camera or the concepts of exposure and so forth. Um, What do you do? Do you actually work with them on those workshops or do you tell them to throw the camera into automatic or program? What what do you um, usually do? I I work with them and and, uh, that's rare but on every workshop i have one or two participants who you know has been shooting um full auto or just switch to a manual mode and they're not too sure what to do and um most of what i I teach two workshops basically the travel photography workshop is all about seeing and um a part a big part is street photography in paris that's the biggest component and the other one is um learning to see photographically. So, of course, they need to take control uh, to to tell a story. So I put them usually in aperture priority mode, and then I, I they can't learn everything in just a few days and still enjoy the workshop and, and have fun. So um, baby steps, but I get them out of – if they're on full auto, they get out of full auto the first day. And then from there, they they realize that, well, that's not so complicated and I can actually control something. And, and, and uh, um, then the other part is um, a lot of the students come and they – because to come on my workshop, you need to know how to use your processing software. And they come and they they have Lightroom on their computer, but they haven't opened it yet. And they said, there is no way you will learn Lightroom while you're in Paris for a week. First of all, there'll be a huge waste of time um, because you want to be, I mean, the, the street is your classroom. You don't want to be spending 10 hours in a classroom learning how to use a software that you can learn for free at home. Uh, so... Um, so that, that is trickier if they're not prepared with that, because, um, I mean, I will teach them some basic stuff, but there is not enough time for me to be everywhere and to, to spend time. My time is better spent in critique and on the photo walks 
uh, and one-on-one time versus, you know, teaching them something they can actually learn at home before they leave on the trip. Same with the camera. But that said, sometimes they just need that little push. And it doesn't take too much, too long for somebody to feel comfortable in aperture priority, for example. And when we shoot street, I tell them to, to let the camera do a lot of the thinking because you only get the one shot. So if you start to go into full manual, you're going to miss the shot. And, and street photography is not about, you know, showing your skills in manual mode. It's about showing your skills as an observer and being able to capture that, that special moment. So, um, so the camera does a lot of the thinking. You know, Don and Valerie, one, uh, I noticed something in common to what you both had to say was that you started essentially with the subject, uh, you know, with Valerie talking about getting out of your comfort zone, shoot something new. Uh, Don, you're talking about finding something that you're interested in and get absorbed in that and basically let that drive your photography. Uh, again, Don, when you have students that you work with in a workshop, uh, how do you relate that back to, again, the technical issues? Are they an obstacle for your students or do they, do you allow, do they get past it one way or another? Well, I'm a very technical photographer, so a lot of my images require, uh, you know, some technical expertise and, and a little bit of, uh, you know, physics trickery and what have you. Um, but, you know, when, when I teach a class and I show people how to make uh, refractions in a water droplet of something they put in behind, and, you know, when they see my images at first, it's so mysterious. Uh, it, it, it's curious and captivating, and they don't think that they could ever do it. When they realize how simple it is, it's a very freeing moment. You know, when it's something that they might have not ever considered to even try because they thought it was beyond their capabilities. But as soon as you take it and put it right in their hands and say, okay, you need these three things in this order and you're done, then then everybody just has an aha moment. And that allows everybody to to go out there and not be afraid to try new things that they might have been afraid because it was too complicated or too advanced. And uh, and photography is a learning experience, and you learn a lot from your mistakes. If you don't try, you won't learn anything. So, mm-hmm. Valerie, when you take students to Paris or Normandy, um, after the workshop, what do your students tell you that they got out of that workshop that was different from what they expected? That's a tricky um, question, huh? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, they all have they all fill out a questionnaire um, within a week or two after the workshop because that helps me, you know, make changes and tweak a few things for the next workshop. Um, well, for the most part, because it's um, for a lot of them, it's not their first time in Paris. For example, I've had participants who who were in Paris dozens of time and um, but had never experienced it the way they experienced it on the workshop because they had never taken the time to to photograph people to talk with people to to do street portraits and they saw the, the a more authentic Paris and for them that's the huge highlight of their of their visit is um, they they saw it as I say, outside of the postcard shot, they they experienced something they had never experienced before in the in that city, uh, so that's that's huge. Um, other than that, it's just as Don was saying, all those little aha moments. Uh, you know, somebody who all of a sudden just sees how light, you know, the quality of light, the quantity of light, and and sometimes it, you know, they've been doing this for for years and they never really got it and then they get it on your workshop or um just different techniques uh for me the biggest thing 
when it's street photography and for many of the participants it's their first experience doing street photography is is the first step into it and getting over the fear of photographing strangers and the satisfaction they get when they see their images and every every day they're more excited and and um and i see the work improve in just six days it's just amazing so um so overall i don't know everybody seems really happy they never want to leave so i think it's or they come back i've had have had participants who've joined three workshops this year so and they already signed up for workshops next year so i think they're probably happy (laughs) don do you do you ever recommend either uh the people look for online free videos or fee-based videos or books do you ever uh encounter a situation where you say to somebody that that's something they should check out a lot of stuff online. Uh, in fact, pretty much everything, if you dig deep enough and, and you're uh, enterprising enough to figure it out, can be gotten for free. Uh, I, I learned myself not through formal education, but by teaching myself through uh, a few odd books. But most of it was all online, uh, reading articles about something I was interested in and and, uh, and building up knowledge through my own experiments and mistakes. But if I were to recommend uh, something to, to somebody, if you pay a little bit through uh, Creative Live or uh, you know at, at any service like that, you've got uh, Lynda.com to learn the software is very helpful. Um, it doesn't cost a whole lot and everything is right there, the best, and, and it might make that aha moment come a little sooner for you. Um, I think that you don't need to go to school for photography to learn photography these days, uh, which might might disappoint some people that are uh, taking you know photography in post secondary education right now. You'll gain skills that otherwise would be much more difficult for you to learn. Um, but I think that it, it's all free, and it's so easy now to make mistakes and learn from them without spending a lot of money. Uh, that everybody that just has time, I think that's all they need. Yeah. I, I actually tell my students before they go on my trip to get on either Linda.com or Kelby training and brush up on Lightroom and so forth. So that's part of my my uh, pre uh, uh, before workshop package that they get. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, we've had uh, they've been a partner of ours here on TWIP uh, on occasion. CreativeLive.com, uh, Don mentioned it. Uh, they do something very unusual there that I think people should check out, particularly because you can get exposed to it for free. And that is that they will run typically a workshop that runs three days in their studio, eight hours a day. And if you watch it live online, you can do so for free. And if you want to download the videos later, then you pay for that. But uh, I've actually, you know, been had a, a Saturday free or a Friday free and just, put it on the computer and sort of gone in and out of the room watching some very impressive photographers and instructors doing some very impressive things. So uh, that's one I like quite a bit. Okay, let's see. Uh, let's go on to our fourth story, which, again, isn't really a story. Well, we're going to make it into a story. We, <laughs> we started out early. Don was talking about his new book, and the book I happen to know is entitled Sky Crystals. 300 pages, huh? That's a lot of that's a lot of snowflakes. Well, rather than me <laughs> telling you about it, Don, tell us about the project. I'm particularly interested in what this means to our listeners who may be interested in publishing a photo book of their own. Um, either, you know, it's one thing to publish a photo book on Blurb and send it to your friends and family. I do that all the time, you know, print five copies, ten copies. But you actually decided 
you wanted to go out and make a, a serious project and put this into the retail business. Tell us about how that started and what, you, uh, what you've learned from the process. Well, I, I guess it all started with uh, the idea that, you know, photographing snowflakes was kind of cool. And so I turned that into a, a little hobby project uh, of mine for about two years, going out and photographing snowflakes whenever the opportunity arose and learning a heck of a lot about uh, focus stacking, the, the technical limitations of light and the physics of how all this stuff works. It was a great learning tool behind the scenes, uh, but I was getting a, a pretty big body of work as a result. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of people had done the, uh, the photo 365 projects and I was always interested in those, but I decided to do a snowflake a day project where I would edit uh, one image a day and sometimes it's not snowing so I couldn't photograph one every day for uh, every day of the winter time, which in this part of the world is about a hundred days. And, uh, and so I got into this this uh, habit of continuously posting these images and digging into all the physics and understanding it. Before I realized it, I, I had become something of an expert uh, in this one small little niche, and uh, and that can happen very easily if a photographer gets uh, you know passionate about a particular uh, project or uh, genre or even just one simple subject, and uh, and so it started growing from there. It, about two years in. Uh, people started saying to me, you know, you got to make this into a book. And uh, so I I asked around, started making some connections, and uh, I found out that uh, to produce a book, like to do it right as if I'm my own publisher, um, I'd have two options. I can go to a publisher and probably get rejected. Uh, And even if a publisher would say yes, then they'd be making all the choices, and I'd kind of have my hands tied for a lot of the stuff. Um, if I wanted to publish it myself, I'd need to go to a printing company and design the book myself. And, uh, and I got quotes and, and the numbers were not small. And I'm thinking, okay, well, where am I going to get, you know, 15 to $25,000, uh, to do this one project. And that's a lot of risk, especially for, uh, you know, a lot of starting out photographers who could very well call themselves uh, starving artists. And, uh, so w- what is a photographer to do? Well, um, this had been, uh, there'd been some great successes in, in crowdfunding. And, uh, so Kickstarter is around, there's Indiegogo, which is what I used for, for my book project at the time. Kickstarter was not friendly to Canadians. Um, so I asked everybody for money, the, the internet at large. Now the key here is for a few years prior, I had been uh, building up an audience online with the work uh, and with uh, you know appearances even on this very podcast and and so I had a uh, a soapbox to stand on and shout out and uh, and say okay everybody you know what I do and I've explained it and I've made a lot of friends along the way and uh, so can you help kick this into high gear and I tell you running a uh, a successful Kickstarter campaign is more than a full-time job. Uh, you know, <laughs> reaching out to everybody that you've ever known that could possibly be interested. Uh, of course, family and friends, they'll support you right off the bat. And that might make up between 15 and 20% at the most. But everything else, it's got to come from the kindness of strangers. And uh, it, it's really rewarding to see that, that come full circle and uh, now to be sending everybody back what they've uh, contributed for and uh, given me all their, their support and encouragement to create. How long did it take for you to meet your goals, your financial goals on on the uh, Indiegogo site? So most of these Kickstarter campaigns will have a set amount of time for the the campaign to run. 
typically between anything from 15 days to 60 days. Uh, and I chose 60 days. I gave it the longest time frame possible. And uh, I, I needed to get 15,000 and I hit that uh, in about 30 days. And so I, I continued to grow, and, and the campaign raised just over twenty five thousand, which allowed me to increase the uh, the size of the book and and a few other things about that to give back to everybody else as well. And now I have additional copies that I'll be able to sell uh, for profit, which will help keep the lights on. Now, are you? I, I I know from before the show started that you've been packing and shipping books yourself. Are you doing all your own fulfillment? Did Did you have all these books delivered to your home? Yes, uh, dropped off in my driveway. They're heavy, and, uh, aren't they? Books, <laughs> they books are, are, heavy. are very heavy. <laughs> They're very heavy. I was actually afraid to put them on the uh, the main floor of our house for uh, you know the possibility that it would break the floor. Um, but no, so uh, the, the books are safely stored and um, and I've got them all here. I'm doing my own fulfillment, but it's been kind of a one man show from the beginning, and it can be done. Uh, I started the images. I did all the scientific research. Um, I did all the editing. I built the book in InDesign. Uh, and I had people, of course, helping me along the way. I'm not going to say that I did it all myself. Um, I'm, I'm not a scientist, so I depend on the knowledge of others to make sure that I'm not uh, off my rocker with the facts I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, it, it's always helpful to have somebody else check your grammar. Uh, and uh, my, my lovely fiancé has been so helpful in packaging things and uh, affixing shipping labels and such. And so uh, it, it, it kind of takes a village to put it all together. But because there's no publishing company right now, it's, it's, it's all falling on my shoulders. So I, I'd probably do it again this way um, because it gives me a lot of freedom, but it's a lot of work. It's a, it's a very small village, a village of two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was in the process of starting from scratch and saying you're going to do a book, going everything from the concept to the shipping, what was the biggest surprise? What what was you know substantially more difficult than you expected or that something that you just didn't expect to encounter at all? Uh, shipping is expensive. <laughs> and, and so, uh, you know, it's coming to the end of the project. And, and so I've, I've set aside all the funds for shipping. It's a little bit more than I expected. So, you know, th- there are some, some surprises along the way. Um, but as far as positive surprises, it was almost immediate the the support that people started pouring in because they knew how much I had loved this project before I decided to make it into a book. And, uh, and to see, Within a week, that my goal is uh, is not unreasonable. It, in fact, it's coming faster than I could have ever expected. Um, the, the world just seems like a much better place when when everybody is on your side, and, and there's very few moments that you can say that, and that was one of them. Um, so now that the, the book is done um, and and shipping, I've had you know tons of positive comments, and for me, it was a bit of a worry. Um, I, I had nobody really read the book before I decided to get it printed and shipped it out. It was my baby. It was the thing that I was trying to create. And no publisher was going to tell me to trim something or cut something out or uh, change whatever it was that I was saying. Uh, so, you know, it, it really sort of puts yourself on the line. And, and at the end of the day, people decide if they like you or not. I guess it's like a gallery opening. You know, you, you think you put your best images in the gallery and you really don't know what's going to happen when people start walking in that door and you get those reactions. And, and oftentimes people uh, might love the image that you thought was just barely making the cut. Uh, so there's always surprises along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that this is 
within the last few years, this is now approachable for just about any photographer that has the passion and has a good idea uh, and has a, 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 that personal project that they've been working on and they're trying to think about, how, well, how do I take this to the next level? Because it's risk-free, you know, if I didn't meet my minimum goal, everybody keeps their money and, uh, and I don't have to worry about building a book that I don't have the funds to create. And so if I look at it from that perspective, it was very freeing to say, all right, well, I'm just going to do this. And I didn't have to worry about anything. Um, it's either going to happen or it's not. And uh, it, either way, it doesn't kill me financially to, to make this project a reality. But I, want to um, you, I want to challenge you on that. Suppose you hadn't met your Indiegogo goal. Um, mm-hmm. Would you really have been able to wake up the next day and say, you know, I feel okay about that? I tried again next year. Uh, But you're right. I wouldn't necessarily feel uh, perfect about it. In fact, I might then uh, create the book anyhow and make a few copies on a service like Blurb, which is very expensive. It would have cost me like 120 bucks or something a copy uh, to to print it there. And that's just the printing costs. So, you know, I I probably would have been uh, upset, but I wouldn't have like it wouldn't have been a disaster. And I probably would have had a lot of support and encouragement along the way. Even if I didn't reach the goal, that would have been fuel for me to keep pushing. Valerie, let me ask you about this. Um, I'm going to guess that you haven't done anything quite as ambitious as Don's book. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, does what he's learned from this, does it give you any uh, motivation to make a uh, a publication of the best Parisian street images that you've got? <laughs> I'm actually working on an e-book, so I'm, uh, this is going to be, it's not going to be a, a, as big a project, but um, I I totally agree. I mean, you have to take risk. We're we're self-employed. You know, we we take risk every day. And and if it's a dream, you have to do it. And and it wasn't as Don said. It wasn't a huge risk. I mean, he wasn't going to lose his house over it. It, it and um, and it worked. I mean, you have to live your dreams. And if it's if publishing a book is your dream, go for it. Especially now. I mean, you have all those those options that were not available um, not so long ago. So um, so why not? I, I I may I may do that. Right now, I'm working on an ebook that will be more. Um, um, kind of, um, a, a, you, know, you could say that in English, accompaniment to my workshop yeah. or no, like a companion to my, my workshop, right. um, ebook. But, um, uh, yes, I would love to have a coffee table book with some of my street photography. So maybe I will do that. I'll just nope. call Don so he can tell me <laughs> what to do. <laughs> you know, a, a photography book is different than a lot of other projects or books even in that uh, you know i have i think a pretty good idea of what to expect from the book that's going to arrive from don i've seen a lot of the snowflake images they've blown me away and i really look forward to having prints in my hand and not just you know one or two prints that i might be able to might be able to find a place on my wall but probably not but to have you know hundreds of these beautiful images that i can go through you know, over again uh, at a different pace and marvel at this uh, the subject matter. I I think it's great. I I do a lot of like I say blur books. I have not even considered uh, graduating to something like this project. But I I really applaud you, Don, for doing this, and I'm so excited about getting that book. By the way, 
if people want to buy the book, can they still order one? Yes, they can. Uh, right now, you can get it on my uh, dedicated Snowflake website. That's uh, skycrystals.ca. And uh, so you head on over there, and, and it's, uh, it's there for pre-order. Um, I will be having it, uh, you know, cross my fingers, uh, listed on Amazon as well uh, within the coming weeks. So uh, that, I think, would, uh, would give a, a bigger audience to the subject matter. And I know that they take a, a sizable percentage. Um, I think they take a, as much as 55% in, uh, in their program for that. But that's far less than a publisher would have. So right. I'm still happy with the results. In a previous lifetime, I, I wrote a couple of books uh, on things nothing to do with photography, and uh, they were distributed. In one, in one case, I published it myself and distributed it only through Amazon. Actually, that's not true. At first, uh, it was in bookstores, and then in the, along the way, bookstores went out of business, and so it ended up being sold only through Amazon. And that was a very good experience because they take care of all that fulfillment. And when I had to reprint a book, I sent my entire inventory to Amazon fulfillment. And that was... That was the most liberating experience of all was not having to do any shipping. Yeah, and so. trying to figure out, well, what's a postal code supposed to look like from Israel and, right. and all that kind of stuff that I, I – you know, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, honestly, right now about uh, wh- where things are going to be shipped. But um, if Amazon can step in and, and handle that aspect of things for me, then that makes everything easier. Yeah. But I, I want to carry on to w- one more point, Doug. You know, I, I, I've done this book project and, uh, and, and I'm happy with it. But it doesn't mean that a photographer out there interested in doing a project doesn't have to end up being a book. You know, it could be an ebook like Valerie is working on. And, you know, I've specifically had people ask, are you doing an ebook version? I don't buy dead tree editions anymore. Uh, or maybe it's an app or maybe it's a gallery showing. Um, maybe it's something even unrelated to photography. Maybe it's directly related to whatever that passion is for you. Uh, and, and so, I, I think that the the message to take away is that with the the crowdfunding available, with the uh, the options for producing something, with no capital investment aside from your time and effort, uh, I think that the sky's the limit for creatives today, uh, where you just didn't have the tools, accessibility, or even if you did, uh, a corporation would end up taking most of the glory from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Valerie, I hope that's inspired you now to do not just an ebook, but to make a real nice hard copy book of great images from all of your workshops. I'm looking forward oh, to that. Thank you. I would, I would love that. I mean, there's nothing like holding a print in your hands or a, a book. I mean, there's that, nothing will ever replace that. So uh, doing both would be awesome. Yeah. All right. Very good. Very good. Well, good luck with it, Don. Congratulations for getting this far. And I'm going to be waiting for mine to show up. I'm sure Valerie will, too. Yes. Well, it is time now for Drumroll Listener Q&A. This is the segment where we try to answer questions that have been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. Uh, This week, we have one question from Chris Saunders, who posted a question over on our community page on Google+. He is taking a cruise through the Panama Canal in the spring, and he wants to take a time-lapse sequence of that trip. Uh, through the canal. Uh, he says, I'm obviously not going to take 12,000 plus stills with my D7000, so I'm looking for suggestions or recommendations for a decent camera that can be plugged into external power and can be programmed for the interval I'm looking for. Um, Don, this is a technical question. It goes first to you. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> what do you think? Got any recommendations for Chris? Uh, well, first of all, uh, just be aware that 12,000 images is going to take up a lot of memory space. Um, you know, if you can calculate that the average image, you know, if you're shooting full resolution JPEGs might be around 13, 14 megabytes or so, you're going to need uh, a hundred and hundred and twenty gig card might not even be enough. If you're trying to do you know, it continuously me, without say, interruptions. I, I, did, I did the math. Okay. In fact, I went and I looked up the size of a of a D seven thousand JPEG, just because that's the camera he mentioned. A full size high res JPEG is seven point eight megabytes, and you can get thirteen thousand images on a one hundred and twenty eight gig card. Well, there you go. If the Perfect. camera won't take a one hundred and twenty eight gig card, because it might not. I know it takes sixty four gig cards, and you can get uh, you can do it with. Um, Smaller but still high res JPEGs. Anyway, go ahead. So that's that's a concern for sure, which is you got to look at the memory. And and you don't want to be fumbling with your camera uh, when you want something to be continuous. You, you don't want to miss a frame uh, if it's supposed to be a smooth flow, uh, flowing kind of time lapse. Um, I, I would also say that it's probably a smart idea not to do this on a on a camera that has a uh, mechanical shutter. I mean, it it would add a little bit of uh, uh, of wear and tear onto the moving parts inside of that. I would suggest maybe even throwing it uh, back to you as well, Doug, because uh, I'm not sure of a good recommendation of a camera that has a remote shutter release. You don't need anything big and fancy, uh, but something that you can plug in a remote shutter for. And I would recommend using an app like Trigger Trap. Um, it's available on Android and, and iOS. Uh, it comes with a little dongle that doesn't cost very much. And uh, you can set up a time-lapse interval, and it, just, it doesn't stop. Uh, so it'll just keep on going constantly. I've had issues with the uh, intervalometers that are built into cameras that will just arbitrarily stop at a certain point. Um, but if if you can get that um, that app, then that's a step in the right direction. You'd probably, depending on how long this camera is going to be on, you might need to get um, uh, an AC adapter kit as well. And not every camera can support that. In fact, fewer than you might think. That's true. Valerie, have you ever done anything like this? No comment. Like you've done that. <laughs> no, no comment. I have never done time lapse, and I'm not even. No, I, yeah. I wouldn't even know where to start. So sorry. Well, I, I- I, I okay. will tell you that I, I did a time lapse. Um, I, I had my camera. I, this was with a 5D Mark II uh, and uh, a Nikon D3 and I think a D300, if I'm not mistaken, or D200. Um, these three cameras were on the top of a gigantic pole um, that was uh, put out over an automotive flea market uh, for the week during setup and activities and teardown. And, uh, and we used Trigger Trap uh, connected to all these cameras. And uh, and it worked really well. Uh, it, we had to build um, you know a, a special waterproof box for a lot of stuff and, and make sure that the cameras were well prepared for any inclement weather. Um, so you know keep that in mind as well. Uh, but it, it was a huge success. We worried though because you know, these cameras are on the, the top of a giant pole and there were thunderstorms for at least two of the nights that the cameras were out there. If it was going to hit anything, it's going to hit that and then say goodbye to all of that camera gear. Um, so just be careful with your equipment when you're doing time lapse, especially if you're out in the open and you're traveling, uh, that the weather might pose a problem too. And unfortunately, there's only one take. There's no, there's no retakes on these. Exactly. You know, I, I want to question question one thing that Chris 
said, he says, I'm obviously not going to take 12,000 plus tilts with my D7000. And you talked about the wear and tear on the shutter. You know, I happen to think personally that a D7000 is a pretty good camera for this. And I'll, I'll tell you a couple of reasons why. First of all, you know, the shutter's good for at least a few hundred thousand shutter activations. Uh, so you might say that this is, you know, this might burn up 5% of my shutter just doing this one sequence. Uh, you know, in the real world, cameras are disposable. Uh, shutters get replaced all the time. And, and it doesn't co- it's not the cost of the camera to replace it. You can go into the camera right. repair uh, and it might cost you a couple of hundred bucks, like you know, $150 or what have you, but it can be fixed. That's right. I mean, the only the only other option, of course, is to use a camera that has no mechanical shutter, uh, a mirrorless camera where you actually turn off the mechanical shutter and only use the electronic shutter. That's possible. Um, but given that you've got some motion, uh, even slight, I'm not sure I would do that. But I would think the D7000 is a pretty good camera. The other thing that, that comes up there, you mentioned uh, external power. Um, going through those locks probably takes quite a bit of time, and I'm sure one battery wouldn't handle it. And I would not want to stop the camera and change the battery and have a little glitch in my time-lapse sequence because of that, because you probably are going to have a problem with that. So uh, the D7000 does have external power. Uh, you have to spend about a little over a hundred dollars to get it all, but you can get, um, you know, a cable that will go to 110 volt. And if you don't have 110 volt or 240, 220, uh, you could also get a larger battery with an inverter because the camera doesn't draw all that much power. Uh, I think that would, given that that's the camera you've got, Chris, uh, I would think that that might be a very reasonable thing to do. Again, look at your memory utilization. If you can put a 128 gig card in it. Go for it. If not, uh, put a 64 gig in. You're not going to want to shoot raw for something like this. Uh, there's just almost no point to that, um, or you'll you'll really get into trouble. <laughs> but I, it's it's quite viable. And uh, in the show notes, I'll put some uh, notes about the the gadgets that you got to buy for the D7000. And Trigger Trap, I agree, is also a really nice way to do this. And if it'll be an interesting uh, project. Oh, it certainly would be if. If this is his only camera, though, if, if he's taking his D7000 and setting it up then to do this, Doug, then if he's going to be taking scenic shots while this is going on, he's going to need a second camera. Do you have any recommendations for what a second camera would be uh, if his D7000 is all locked up? I'm going to ask Valerie for hers because I would agree with it. <laughs> well, no, unless, I don't know. Unless he wants, unless, he wants to, unless he wants to use his Nikon lenses. Well, then well, if I couldn't use help Nikon him. lenses, then you know the then you you know you probably get a D fifty three hundred or something like that. But um, you know my my favorite second camera that I don't even own is also one of Valerie's, which is the oh the fact, Fuji X one hundred almost the Fuji yeah. I mean I'm I'm yeah. testing now the Fuji the X what is it the X one E or X E one what is it called? I'm shooting with that. I'm in love with this camera. This camera is so much fun to use. It is so easy. It's very similar to the X100S. And the new one, the XE2, has the same sensor as your camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the big difference, of course, is the interchangeable lenses. And Fuji's just, sure. Fuji has really killed it in terms of making cameras that are intuitive to use. Um, a lot of fun. So I don't know if that answers your question, Don. But um, uh, well, I, Fuji I, is just doing a great job. I, I would uh, accept that recommendation. 
<laughs> the the little D5300, I've not shot with one, but this is uh, one of the killer new Nikons crop frame sensor cameras, uh, just like the D7000 is a crop frame and be very good. The other thing you might want to do is if you're worried about burning up a shutter is consider renting a camera and burn up the rental company's shutter. Oh, well, there you go. That's um, a good idea. You know, they don't they don't charge you by the shutter activation. So if you take a D7000 out of rental, let's say you're going on a one or two week trip, rent a D7000 and put that one on the tripod. And let that one crank through its uh, 12,000 mm-hmm. images. Anyway, okay. Before we dive into the end of the show, which is our picks of the week, I would like to thank our other sponsor for the week's show, which is Squarespace. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. 10. Now, Squarespace is constantly improving their platform with new features, new designs, and even better support. They have beautiful designs for you to start with and all the style options you need to create a unique website for you or your business. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you need some help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Squarespace starts at just $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Plus, Squarespace is commerce-ready to provide a powerful and flexible e-commerce solution so you can set up shop and start selling things quickly. Commerce is integrated to work with every Squarespace template, and it allows for sales of both physical and digital goods. For example, you could sell music CDs or MP3s or hardcover books or even e-books. And the digital goods are delivered via customized email links that expire 24 hours from delivery. A single user interface for order management, tracking orders, providing customizable customer email updates. You can print shipping labels and you can even manage coupons from this interface. They've got a global reach for your online store as Squarespace Commerce now is now available in 10 countries. They're available in the United States, the UK, uh, Canada, Australia, Belgium, France, Germany, Ireland, the Netherlands, and Spain. You can start a trial with no credit card. You can just build your website. Then when you decide to purchase or sign up for Squarespace, you just use the offer code TWIP10, that's T-W-I-P-10, to get 10% off and show your support for This Week in Photo. And we thank Squarespace for their support. Remember, Squarespace, it's everything you need to create an exceptional website. Okay, let's jump into our pick of the week segment. Remember, your pick can be anything as long as it's photography related. Don, do you have a pick for us this week? I do. And I tried to find something a little bit more related to uh, some of the subject matter that we were talking about. And it works. We were just talking about Trigger Trap. They actually have a Kickstarter going on right now. I think it's got uh, well, quite a few days left, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, right now, they're, they've got a new uh, product that they're trying to create, and it's called Red Snap. Uh, have you heard about this yet, Doug? No, I have not. Okay, so this uh, this particular uh, product is it, for those that aren't familiar with Trigger Trap. They let you, uh, aside from the the iOS app that can do. Um, uh, remote uh, or time-lapse stuff, and it's good for astrophotography and all that. They have hardware 
that can basically trigger the camera when uh, a laser beam is broken uh, or when something is sensed. So uh, whether it's a motion sensor or it's a sound sensor, um, you can trigger the camera. And this is great for you know shattering a glass bottle uh, or popping a balloon and all this kind of fun stuff. And you could, you know, the, the creative high-speed photography that you can do with this kind of hardware is so much fun. And uh, so right now, They've got a bunch of different uh, packages on there. You can get into this system um, for around, uh, they, they say, 90 pounds, so whatever that translates to in, in dollars. And, uh, man, it looks so cool. Give it, a, give it a look. Right now, they've met their goal, and they've far exceeded it. And uh, there's two weeks left. So get in while you can and help make it even better. Sounds like a good gadget. Let's check that out. Valerie, how about you? What is your pick of the week this week? Um, it's also relevant since it's an ebook, and our friend Dan Ablin from uh, Chicago, who is uh, on TWIP uh, regularly also, uh, just published a new ebook with Peach Pit, and it's called Composition for Portraiture Creating Compelling Headshots, Group Shots, and Senior Pictures, and it's only five bucks. So let's show him some support, and it's available at peachpit.com only, um, and the link will be on the show notes. So for five bucks, if you like to shoot portraits, can't go wrong. Peach Pit only publishes good books. So there Absolutely. we go. Well, let's check that out. Uh, it sounds like a good one. I, I have to laugh every time I hear the phrase senior pictures. When I first heard about that, I imagined taking <laughs> pictures in a retirement home. Oh, I did the and same I thing. I out why that was a business. <laughs> and so it, it, it was, you know, that just shows when I was first getting into this business of what that was all about. I said, oh, senior pictures, why would you do that? Okay, my pick of the week is a um, little different. It's a fluorescent softbox. It's the Linko Flora 35-inch softbox. Let me tell you what how I got into this one. I, you know, I have some softboxes that I use here, but they are for strobes. And I wanted to improve the lighting on myself and my gear for the All About the Gear show. So I said I need a continuous light softbox. They're expensive, and I looked at all the LED options and all this. And I also, I hate traditional softboxes because they're extremely non-portable. You have to unfold them and push all these rods into them. And uh, setting them up is quite a project. Tearing them down is just as hard. And I wanted something that was easier to set up. And I snooped around, snooped around. I finally found this one from Linko. It's fluorescent, and the softbox itself is just an unfolds like an umbrella. So there's none of this pushing rods through little loops and things like that. So this is $260 if you buy it at Amazon. It, that's the kit includes the 35-inch softbox, the stand, six 5,400 Kelvin, I think, fluorescent bulbs. Uh, it's very bright. It has a, a two banks, so you can turn on three or all six. Um, the, the, the light is very good. You can use it for still photography as well. It's not just for motion pictures. Uh, it's bright. It's very cool. I can sit here in the uh, studio with it on for hours. Um, and at $260, it's very inexpensive and very, very portable, which is unusual for a softbox these days. So check that out. Okay, we are at the end of yet another episode of This Week in Photo. Now, let me ask everybody how people can stay connected with you. Don, what's the best way for people to find out about Don and his book? Okay, uh, doncom.ca is where most of my work is. And uh, if you want to see Snowflake specifically, then skycrystals.ca is the place to go. Okay, and Miss Valerie Jardin, how about you? <laughs> 
uh, Valérie Jardin photography. I'm, I'm all getting in one. better at that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all in one word. V a l e r i e j a r d i n photography, and um, I'm on my my Facebook page is is a uh, is a busy place, which is cool. Uh, lots of great interaction there, um, and I'm spending more and more time on Google Plus as well. So um, everything is linked on my website as well as my blogs and. All the information about the 2014 workshops, which are already filling up through September. I have a lot of registrations already, so it's pretty exciting. And I'm going to be adding Excellent. a couple more. So, Well, does, does next year look as busy as this year for you? Uh, yes. I think you said nine, nine workshops this year? Nine filled, yeah, nine sold out workshops this year. So uh, next year I'm, wow. I'm making some changes. It's, it's a lot of work to do two weeks back to back, so I'm trying to take it easy a little bit and allow some more free time in between workshops. Very good. Okay. And uh, to connect with me, Doug K, you can visit me at DougK.com, K-A-Y-E with an E. Uh, I spend most of my social networking time on Google+. You can find me there. Look for the Doug K with the green background because the Doug K with the red background is my evil twin. And remember to check out our new show, All About the Gear. You can find it on the trip blog at thisweekinphoto.com. And finally, to keep up with everything in the trip universe, check out thisweekinphoto.com and please join our community on Google+. And with that, it is time, as they say, to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.